This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. Really what, what it all boils down to, um, things like um, using proper PPE, so that's personal protective equipment. Chemicals have a role to play in agriculture. Most of what we know about pesticides right now is that we see associations with disease. We don't necessarily see all the criteria to say that it causes the disease. But every action leads to a reaction. Most compounds will give some negative results to animals, to plants, and even to human beings. So there's some level where they're dangerous. Aspects of pesticide usage, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism. Online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Better living through science, or so the saying goes. We want bumper crops to help feed the world. We want green, weed-free lawns. And we want to think that the chemicals we use to reach those goals are all safe. That's not always the case, especially when used improperly. Iowa Watch reporter and digital analyst Lauren Mills has our story. Iowa's wide expanse of row-cropped fields produced roughly 2.5 billion bushels of corn and 554 million bushels of soybeans in 2015. And for many, those high yields are thanks in part to pesticides. But what impact, if any, do those chemicals have on our health? It's a controversial topic, and the answer is hard to pin down. In many cases, those we spoke with said the jury's still out. Most of what we know about pesticides right now is that we see associations with disease. We don't necessarily see all the criteria to say that it causes the disease. That was Charles Lynch, University of Iowa College of Public Health professor and medical director and principal investigator of the State Health Registry of Iowa. Lynch has been involved in a long-term study called the Agricultural Health Study, a partnership between the National Cancer Institute, the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health that has been looking at the health outcomes of pesticide applicators in Iowa and North Carolina since 1993. Among the study's findings thus far are reports that farmers have a higher risk for developing some cancers, including prostate cancer. The study also reported links between certain pesticides and increased risks of developing Parkinson's disease, diabetes, or thyroid disease. But pesticides have proven hard to study. The chemical combinations used in pesticides change frequently, and if someone who is in contact with pesticides gets sick later in life, it's difficult to trace that illness to pesticides or any number of other environmental or genetic causes. When asked how concerned Iowans living near agricultural areas should be, Lynch remains skeptical. Personally, I don't feel we know enough to say that uh, there would be uh, secondary health effects. Uh, we, we have that assumption in the Ag Health Study, and our argument would go something like this. We're, we're, we're studying a group of people that have relatively high exposure to pesticides. These p- people actually go out there and apply these restricted-use products, and so they're, they're probably going to have higher exposure than anyone other people in the general population. But we know that uh, these products are used on lawn and garden. Uh, They're used on golf courses. They're used in other places as well. Many of the people in the general population, like you and I, would have lower exposure. 
But that doesn't mean that we would be risk-free necessarily. Gretchen Pollack, Pesticide Bureau Chief with the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship, said that if precautions are taken and regulations followed, pesticides didn't pose an unreasonable threat to either people or the environment. Pesticides come with labels with directions on how to mix, apply, store, and dispose of the pesticide product. Failing to use a pesticide properly, as described on the label, is a violation of federal law. There are a number of things uh, that go into safe pesticide use. Um, to give you examples, uh, really what, what it all boils down to, um, things like um, using proper PPE, so that's personal protective equipment, um, reading and understanding the label, that really that label contains very specific information about that product and how it should be used, as well as hazard statements. Most of the work by the Agricultural Health Study has focused on adults with less information on children, in part, Lynch said, because it's harder to get exposure data on kids. But other organizations, such as the Pesticide Action Network, an international organization that lobbies against use of pesticides, have highlighted concerns about the impact of pesticides on the youngest generation by rounding up a review of studies. In May, the organization released a report called Kids on the Frontline and hosted a panel event in Iowa City to discuss concerns about the increased risk of developmental disorders as well as concerns about links between pesticides and childhood cancers. I spoke with panelist Kent Boyum, who is on the Iowa Organics Association Board of Directors and is the Director of Economic Development and Government Relations for Maharishi Vedic City. In addition to managing 2,000 acres of organic farmland for the city, Boyum has a background as an environmental toxicologist. Most compounds will give some negative result to animals, to plants, and even to human beings. So there's some level where they're dangerous. As an organic producer and representing an organic farm, we try to go to the zero level because who knows, who knows 20 years from now, if something has a result in two weeks, it's clear. If it has a result in a year, it's pretty clear. If it has a result 20 years from now, it's pretty hard to figure it out unless you have lots of data and lots of historical information. And then it's too late for all those poor people that you know, had the, the negative effects on their lives. So. Mark Quee, farm manager for the Scattergood Friends School in West Branch, was also a panelist at the event. He said originally he worried mainly about how pesticides might impact his lungs as he breathed them in during a day working in the fields. So now my concern is much, you know, less about immediate impacts on, you know, how am I breathing that day, but more like, you know, what are my grandchildren going to be facing? But it's not just farm fields. Pesticides are used on golf courses, in parks, in schools, and in our own yards. I spoke with Kamyaran Jayan, director of the Center for Energy and Environmental Education at the University of Northern Iowa and a self-described cheerleader for ending pesticide use the week following graduation on the UNI campus. Small signs bordering grassy patches warned would-be loungers to stay off the lawn because it had just been treated. It was an interesting contrast to some of his work, which includes advising the Iowa City Community School District on ways to reduce pesticide use. The district banned pesticides in the fall of 2015 before approving a pest management plan earlier this year that requires district officials to use the least hazardous control methods to deal with weeds and pests. I have been involved in urban pesticide reduction, and I'm 
you know, in the process of expanding that and really reaching out and doing basically starting a public education campaign to uh, reach out to large public land uh, in public spaces where pesticides are used in schools, in parks, in churches, hospitals. What is the importance of working with with schools and public spaces like that? Well, the importance is because a lot of us spend time in those places, children particularly, families, and it, it will significantly reduce children's exposure to these hazardous materials. That's the main draw. And the parents, their main concern has been um, they don't want their children to be exposed to this unnecessarily. It's not that there aren't other environmental or other dangers out there for our children. Obviously there are. But the, the key point is that this particular exposure is totally unnecessary. There is no reason for children to be exposed to this. So you just remove it. It's a preventable thing, right? So preventable, if you remove preventable things, that's good. (laughs) And Lauren Mills joins me now. What was it that led you to report on this topic? Well, I think mostly just living in Iowa. I mean, you're surrounded by agriculture. You know, I drive into work every day and I drive past fields of corn and soybeans. And so it was kind of just the question of, you know, you see these applicators out there applying uh, pesticides, some herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, um, and you just sort of wonder, you know, is there any sort of impact from that uh, on the environment, on health? And so what I was looking at, particularly in this story, was uh, impacts on health. The most surprising thing you learned was what? Well, I think... um, It was just that the science is still sort of uncertain um, because the the chemicals involved uh, are changing and it's really, really hard to uh, study and fully understand human health impacts uh, based on on environmental contaminants, on chemicals, that sort of thing. Um, You know, the, the people who are looking and researching pesticides they're still not quite sure, you know, there might be an increased risk of cancers uh, with certain types of pesticide, there might be uh, some respiratory issues, but they still, you know, there's just no certainty there. This is a necessary evil in order for Iowa to feed the world. What's the response to that? Well, sure, and and I certainly understand that, and I spoke with a farmer who very much uh, sort of voiced that opinion, um, I think from the other side, from, from folks that I spoke with, their stance was more or less, if there's any risk at all, I'd rather not have it around. Uh, especially some of the folks that I was speaking with uh, were talking about things like applying on school grounds, uh, on parks, uh, that sort of thing, because pesticides aren't just limited to, to the farm field. You know, they also are things that we apply, uh, you know, go out and apply Roundup on the the cracks in the sidewalk and that sort of thing. Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Mills. You can read her stories by going online to iowawatch.org. Coming up, we'll hear one farmer's view on the pesticide topic. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues. (music) 
the Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our discussion of the use and impact of pesticides by continuing our focus on agriculture issues. Here again is Lauren Mills. For Chad Ingalls, a farmer in Randalia, Iowa in Fayette County, pesticides are a tool for increasing yields and protecting his crops. But so are other techniques like scouting his corn and soy fields for weeds and pests. He walked me through his field with rows of small green soybean plants growing between brown withered stalks from last year's corn. He reached down to pick up a hunk of corn cob with green shoots growing from the kernels. This is a so this is a weed. It was the crop last year, but we dropped uh, ear came out of or mist from the combine and and grew this year and. If you have a, a lot of those out there, you have to change what herbicide you use because they're Roundup-ready corn. If you use Roundup out here, it's not going to kill it, and so there's a couple products that we can use to kill the volunteer corn. But Most years, like I don't see any others around right now. I see one over there, I guess, but they're not significant enough of a problem. To, to warrant treating for it. If you had a problem out there, if, um, say last year there was a windstorm and knocked down some of the corn and you had a bunch on the ground, you would probably have to use a little different chemical to take care of them. But. Um, and could you just talk a little bit, uh, and when we were sort of walking out of the last field, you talked about some of the issues you had last year uh, with, the, with the ragweed. Right. Uh, could you just talk about that a little bit again? Yeah, last year in, in this particular field, uh, we thought our herbicide coverage was good enough early in the season that we didn't come back and, and treat a second time. And we had a spot that uh, we ran into, we had some giant ragweed uh, It started growing and we, it was in corn so we didn't necessarily see that it was a problem. But at harvest time the, the ragweed was sticking out of, above the corn, it was about eight or nine feet tall. Um, seeded out and so we've got more ragweed out in that area this year than we did last year and so we'll have to make sure and take care of that in the bean crop so things that you miss last year become problems the next year and if you don't get a hold of them they can really escalate into a big problem. Ingalls said he's aware of some of the health concerns surrounding pesticide use Although he used to treat his fields himself, he currently contracts with a commercial applicator for what he calls a conventional spray program, a combination of herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides on his 350 acres of corn and 250 acres of soybeans. Among these chemicals is glyphosate, the most widely used herbicide in the world, according to one recent study, which is more commonly recognized as a key ingredient in the brand name Roundup. I guess we try to stay away from some of the more potent chemicals, and I think a lot of the ones that we use currently, um, of course, they all have label 
restrictions and, and things you need to follow on the label. I guess from my perspective, some seem a lot of them seem safer than what they did when I was growing up, or maybe we just didn't know as much. He said he takes precautions like wearing gloves and masks or respirators, sometimes even a hazmat-esque Tyvek suit, depending on the recommendations on the labels. Farm clothes are washed separately from everything else to make sure none of the family laundry gets contaminated. As a private applicator, he's required to get two hours of training every year or take a test every three years. Training sessions can include information on safety precautions, as well as how to scout fields for pests and diseases and what pesticides to use. He said modern safety standards have decreased exposure significantly from when he was a kid helping out in his family fields. I guess when I was younger, far younger, we did a lot of spraying with uh, open cab and the sprayer and... That was probably not a good situation, but but now with um, cabs, you're you're not you're not having that spray blow blow over you. Or you're not turning around back into it, and you have far less exposure out in the field than what what we may have had years ago. When asked about any health concerns, though, he said he wasn't terribly concerned. All the same, he and his family have been a part of the Agricultural Health Study, which looks at the health of pesticide applicators, for about two decades. And we get uh, periodic surveys to fill out, um, send in a sample, mucus sample or whatever. I think we did that one time. And it's just, I think it's good to be involved in those things to track what's going on for for the future and One of the outcomes of research like the Agricultural Health Study is that some pesticides are occasionally taken off the market or phased out if they are shown to have negative effects on humans or the environment. Just last year, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, a part of the World Health Organization, raised concerns by labeling glyphosate, the widely used herbicide that's a key ingredient in Roundup and a key part of Ingalls' pesticide treatment, as probably carcinogenic. The chemical is currently under review by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Like a lot of things, there are potential connections to cancer and other other issues across a wide range of products that we use and consume. And I think it's probably great that they're invest. Somebody's investigating it, but um, I think a lot of things you the headlines might be a little different than what the actual study shows sometimes. So it doesn't make you reconsider using that? Not at this point, no. Pesticide use can be sort of a controversial topic depending on who you're talking to. From your perspective, what is the importance of using it? What, uh, how do you sort of weigh any benefits against any potential risks? Right. I think, I mean, on an individual basis, it's very easy to see the benefits of pesticides, economically especially, because, say, on a, on a field of corn or a field of beans, if we don't control the, the weeds, uh, the disease, the insects, um, we may have a near total loss in some situations. And that's just not uh, sustainable for any any farming operation. Um, 
and you can you can you can definitely see herbicides. You can see if you if you miss an area of the field, the amount of weeds that will grow and take over that area um, are just astonishing. Um, so with so without herbicides, we would have a very difficult time uh, growing. Uh, not only corn and beans, but a wide range of uh, vegetables um, across our whole country. So, Chad Ingalls, a Fayette County farmer, speaking with reporter and digital analyst Lauren Mills earlier this year. Lauren has recently left Iowa Watch, but before she went, she filed a new story on the hazards of pesticide drift, which was published just this week at iowawatch.org. That's where you can also find her earlier work on the topic, which was the subject of this week's program. A reminder of a special event coming up later this month on Thursday, September 29. It's our fourth annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet, this year noting the 40-year anniversary of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. White House advisor Corey Zarek, a University of Iowa graduate, will be the guest speaker. More information about the full day of activities and the evening banquet can be found online at iowawatch.org. And that's also how you can connect with us anytime. Click on the Iowa Watch Connection tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more. iowawatch.org. Follow us on Twitter at Iowa Watch and be sure to use the hashtag IAWatchConnection when commenting about the program. We're on Facebook too, facebook.com slash Iowa Watch. And you can let us know your thoughts about this program or suggest ideas for future programs by email. The address is radio at iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.